Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Good morning. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the war. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your counsel. We thank you for your divine protection and the shields of God. We ask that your shields would be upon us this day to protect us from all of the things that are we can protect ourselves from, Lord God. You know what they are, Lord God, and that you cover our hearts as well with your encouragement and your peace, your joy. Father, let your perfect work come forth in our lives. And we ask you to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and be encouraged this day wherever you are. And we just welcome people from all over the world. We thank you that you're listening to us, and God be with all of us as we prepare to meet Jesus in the in the clouds very soon. So, Father God, we thank you for giving us that promise that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken by the evil one, the conniving, the insidious, the uh, discouraging, the uh, multifaceted levels of evil in this world, God, that nothing will be able to take to separate us from the love of God. And most of all, not the lies, that we will not be separated from you because of the lies that we believe and the deceptions that we have been caught up into. So, Father, I pray that you give us today eyes to see. Jesus, you promised us that you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we thank you for truth and freedom and revelation that you are the faithful witness. Your word is good. You stand behind your word and we have everything to look forward to. So, Father God, let us be encouraged in this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Good How morning. are you today? I'm doing well. Good, I'm doing well good. by the grace of God. Today we're going to be talking about tangled up in your troubles uh, or trials, however you want to put that. Some of us you know, feeling, are feeling overwhelmed, obviously, overwhelmed and defeated in our situation. So today we're going to be talking about tests, trials, the purpose of them, and uh, the, op- the, uh, the actual fact is that everybody in the Bible was tested with lots of trials and, right. and, a, and crazy course, situations. Right, and of course a classic case, one of the most well-known cases, is the situation with Job. Mm-hmm. And in and, and Job 30, verse 16, it says, And now my soul is poured out because of my plight. The days of affliction take hold of me. <laughs> yeah. and, and then in verses 26 and 27, but when I looked for good, evil came to me. And when I waited for light, then came darkness. My heart turmoil and cannot rest. Days of affliction confront me. I think all of us have been there to one degree or another. Yeah, and I think I think affliction and trials are on a continuum. You know, you could have a bad day, a bad hair day, a little thing goes wrong here and there. Or you could have a major trial. And, and a lot of times the trials have nothing to do with what we did or didn't do. It could be like the death of a dear, precious loved one. It, it's, the trials don't have to come as a result of a, a sin that we committed, although sometimes there are, there are consequences and demonic judgments that come as a result of those choices and those choices are made because you're deceived but but you know afflictions job was in the middle of a of a you know a crisis that he had nothing really to do with if you look in the beginning of the book we all know that god actually was bragging on job when satan come in come came up to heaven amidst the sons of god and 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 you know god says have you seen my righteous servant job right and Job, you know, lost his, his family, lost his 
his kids, his kids mm-hmm. lost his wealth and, and in some ways lost his that reputation because his yeah. so-called comforters were challenging his reputation, his character but, and his integrity. And, uh, and this story is given as a, as an example of what really goes on this in the spiritual world. And I think we need to understand is before we go deeper and we've got Joe, we've got David, we've got James, we've got all these guys we can talk about and we will, but that we have to look at our lives in the context of, of the dimension of the, the spiritual battle that's going on between God and Satan. And if we don't put our, our personal conflicts and troubles and trials in the midst of that understanding um, then we will have no way to really resolve, rightly divide or resolve or understand what's really going on. So in, in our world, you mentioned this earlier, Margie, there are like multiple levels and dimensions of right. evil that afflict us from, you know, the air we breathe, the food we eat, some yeah. of the food that we can eat mm-hmm. to just, uh, you know, Satanism mm-hmm. activity yeah. of Illuminous masons, uh, right. just just all well, kinds of things that we're dealing. We're living in the midst of, of this con- world. We're living in the midst of a context right now of end of the world scenario, end of the age scenario, not as we know it, but 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 there's several stages to this culmination in the return of Jesus Christ and the millennial rule of Jesus Christ and all of the, the, the books that you know, kind of talk about that, Daniel, Revelation, we're kind of in the mix, midst of that. So you have to realize that if you're feeling that something is intensifying and, and you know, around you, then you're absolutely correct that there are so many things that we cannot do to protect ourselves, and only God and his protection, his word, his promises, shields protect us. But going back to the context of the battles, so we're in individual spiritual battles, but we're caught up in the bigger war between God and Satan. And I think that's very well shown in the book of Job, also in the book of uh, Joshua, we hear of Abraham, who Satan also wanted to test him. And God was also bragging about his righteous servant, Job, and that, or Abraham, that he loved him. And Satan says, oh, yeah, <laughs> let me test him. Let, let, here, here, tell him to kill his son and see what he does with that. And, you know, we have these very severe trials where... Ultimately, we can go to, to look at how our, we're being tested in our faith and our loyalties to God. But we also have the everyday trials like, like David. And David has some pretty severe everyday trials just because he was hated and because he was called. And this is another element of being tested. Um, you know, uh, Peter and David and, and Abraham as well, Moses as well. These were, men were all being slated for promotion in the kingdom of God, they were all being, you know, David was anointed king. And yet after he got anointed king, his whole life fell apart, basically, because everybody was after him to kill him, including and mostly Saul, the jealous king in the, the current king, um, the current administration was after him. And so he wanted to, um, uh, you know, David was hiding out. He was looking for places to protect his life. He was hunted down. He was in the wilderness. He went to the Philistines. He pretended like he was crazy. He had a, a, you know, a group of 600 disgruntled uh, men who were his soldiers. But he says um, in Psalm 7, and this is kind of an interesting meditation of David. Here he says, oh, Lord, my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from those who persecute me and deliver me. Now, here's another type of trial, Jerry, where people go to work every day and they're being persecuted by the people who hate them, the, the ungodly. There is an element of God haters in this world, and you must know that by now. 
and they don't like the remnant. They don't like the people of God who are uh, chosen to live in righteousness. And so David was in that kind of a midst of the people who hated God, hated him, persecuting. He said, deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion. And then he goes on to verse 3, Lord, if I have done this. Now he's, he's examining his heart. He says, if I have done this, if there's iniquity in my hands, verse 3. If I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me, if I've, you know, you know, picked a fight and got after these people, plundered my enemy without a cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. He says, then I got it coming. He said, let him trample my life to the ground and my honor to the dust. And then he says in verse six, arise, O Lord, in your anger, lift yourself up against the rage of my enemies. Lord God, you're my defender. You're on my side. Protect me. Rise up. Wake and awake for me the judgment you commanded. God, take my side. Vindicate me. Um, and then he says, um, verse 8, the Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. Now, here's a man who wasn't, he says, according to my integrity within me. He wasn't saying, oh, I'm guilty. I'm bad. I have this coming. And so many times in our trials, we're examining it to the point, and obviously we're examining it under demonic counsel, where the enemy's got us believing I had this coming. I, did, I sinned. And a lot of times the trial has, does involve sin. It involves believing a lie, doing something that's contrary to your divine nature, contrary to God. And of course, then the devil comes along and says, you had this coming. You, 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 you did this to yourself. Um, you're your own worst enemy. It's your fault, blah, blah, blah. But David is here saying, no, I didn't do any of that. He says, according to my integrity, uh, uh, judge me. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just for the righteous God. Listen to this. Test the hearts and minds, my defenses of God, who saves the operating heart. Jesus is the faithful witness. He is there right now testifying, watching, knowing the truth about what's going on in your world, even when your own heart has been deceived by the devil into believing lies. Um, and so God wants us to know the truth in the midst of the trial, and that's what David did. If you don't know the truth in the midst of the trial, you're going to take on uh, false blame, accusation, self-condemnation, and agree with the lies of and fear. Well, sometimes, you know, there is suffering for, for righteousness' sake, and there is suffering, you touched on it a little bit later, uh, earlier, there's suffering for uh, unrighteousness sake, you know, Psalm 107, mm-hmm. verse 17, fools because of their transgression and because of their iniquities were afflicted. So I've seen two people say that they do something deliberately to wreck their mm-hmm. health with, you know, uh, drugs, you know, drugs, alcohol, tobacco, stuff like that. And they get sick as a result of it. And I've seen this too. Someone dies, they're all full of tumors, they die and they get mad at God for it. Mm-hmm. Well, what was it God's fault? No, you know, they, but they, they believed a lie about God. And this is a really, they the, made, they made choices that brought destruction upon them. Yeah. But those choices were set up through deceptions. Well, that's right. But they still, they still made the choice. Well, they made the choice because they believed the lie. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what we have to recognize. This is what's going on in our world. Yeah. That in first John chapter five, verse 19, uh, well, Let's let's look at this, 18 and 19. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, mm. but he who has been born of God keeps himself in the wicked one, does not touch him. So, But that kind of leads up to this verse, verse 19. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So, so we're in the midst of this world of evil and opposition. Jesus said, don't marvel if the world hates you. If they've hated me, they're going to hate you. you. You're going to be hated of all men, of all nations. So we, as believers, we are lights. We are true lights. 
a very dark, spiritually oppressed world. And there's a conflict. There's a confrontation that's there. Yeah. And because actually, the darkness hates is, the light. The darkness hates the light. Absolutely. So we're living in the midst of that. So, so Peter said, and we can talk about this later. He said, don't think it's strange when these trials mm-hmm. are going to come. Mm-hmm. The, there's a, one of the one of the trials is the 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 opposition of the enemy, the devices of the enemy to, array, to stir up other people. For example, let's mm-hmm. let use this as an example: stir up other people to come against us, to criticize us, to attack us, to try to control us, to try to oppose us. And Paul said in Ephesians six, "We don't wrestle against flesh and blood." But so it's not the people, but it's the power, yep. the principalities, the powers the forces of wickedness in this world that are influencing and motivating people mm-hmm. who do not believe mm-hmm. to oppose those who are righteous. You're right. This is the context of spiritual warfare. This is the battle, uh, the powers, the principalities of spiritual wickedness. And a lot of people, a lot of believers are not taught how deep this thing goes. And so they, they're kind of living on the surface of it's my fault and I must have done something wrong, not realizing that the devil has already set this all up for his own purpose. And the purpose is basically to destroy our, our confidence, our, our faith, and our steadfastness in God. So in, in James, he says, okay, verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2, My brother, and count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Um, in, in the uh, Amplified, it says, uh, he says, consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters. How about that? When you fall into a trial, when you're being tested, when, you're, when there's pain, when there's grief, when there's injustice, when there's uh, assault against you, when people rise up against you, when they fall, false reports, false accusations, he says, here's how you respond. Count it nothing but joy. This is, my, this is joy, people. This is strength. This is knowing the truth. Whenever you fall, fall into various trials. Now, falling, you don't plan on falling. You don't try to fall. You don't say, well, I'm going to go fall today. If falling is something where you're sometimes pushed. Sometimes there's some rug pulled up from under you. Um, Jesus was led by the, by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He didn't fall into that necessarily. He walked into it. But we need to know that the devil is trying to, and it's, it's basically when you fall, it's not your fault. And so the enemy wants to make you think you did something wrong to hurt your back, you lifted a, 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 a pencil and now you hurt your back. I mean, whatever it is, he always wants it to tw- twist it around to be something you did. Somebody died. It's your fault because you didn't shut the door or whatever. And the devil is always trying to um, create a, a, a contest with my joy. My joy is my confidence and strength in God. One of the first things that we uh, think of a lot of times when we come into trials, afflictions, trouble, uh, is that we did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. We must have done something wrong. Right. And that's, 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 the, the question. that's what the devil tries to get so much. Well, that's why Job said, I didn't and, do anything and, wrong. And, right. And a lot of times we are in trouble because we're doing something right. Yeah, absolutely. And, too. and, and that's, that's what Peter says. He talks about the difference. Don't suffer. You know, it's no glory to suffer for something that you've done where you believe the lie of the enemy and you've done something foolish. Mm-hmm. There's no glory in that. There's really no joy in that, but there is glory and joy when you do something right, when you are living righteously and godly and, and people are opposing you, then there's reason to rejoice. Well, if you look in James and the New King James, we're going to go read on. He says, um, you know, count it all joy uh, when you fall into various trials, knowing 
not thinking, hoping, knowing. but knowing that the testing of your faith or the trial of your faith produces patience. Now, the word patience can also mean endurance. Um, and so he's, he says, patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. So this is God's goal in our life is that we grow up, that we become like Jesus Christ, that his image be made in us. You see, when Jesus was on the earth, he, he had to grow up too. It says he suffered um, uh, through obedience. He, he learned. He walked in the counsel of God. He proved that he was faithful to God. And God wants us to be like that. He wants us to be like Jesus. So the purpose of our trial, if you look at it, we're supposed to, first of all, first response is count it all joy and thankful, be thankful, rejoice and joy. Those are your three first responses to a trial. But you have to recognize before you can do that, you have to get rid of guilt and fear. You have to say, you know what? This is not my fault. This is God allowing or permitting Satan to, to, to work in me. We'll get to that in a minute to bring forth the pure gold. And we have to recognize that the real one on trial here, the real one being tested here is God himself and his love and faithfulness to keep us and complete us because we are his workmanship creating Christ Jesus. So the purpose of the trial is to produce patience. The opposite of patience is control and self-directed assertive clamor for our rights. Let me say that again, because if you lay those three or four words on the population of the United States, for example, today, you're going to see a lot of control, a lot of self-directed assertive clamor for our rights. We're marching and burning things for our rights. But... Um, and standing up for our rights and the demonstration on behalf, comes on behalf of fear and, um, and our, the activities of wickedness. But as Christians, we're called to stand up for righteousness, not for our rights. And we are to prevail against fear through love. And love is the direct opposite of fear. And love is not uh, condoning evil. Love does not mean I love you, therefore I'm going to give you you know, my blessing to do whatever you want to do that's contrary to God's word. Real love for a person says, you know what, honey, you're, you're going to mess up here. This is not good for you. In the end, it's going to bring great destruction. I have to stand against you because I really do love you. And I need to tell you the truth here because people need to understand that we're not here and we're not in this just by ourselves. There is a demonic spiritual presence and force that corrupts and directs a lot of our energy, our agreements to come against the most high. Well, yeah, like you were saying, you know, love has been misinterpreted to 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 say love is accepting, tolerating, and accepting and endorsing evil. Mm-hmm. If if you don't if you don't endorse what I'm doing, if I, if you don't endorse the evil, that means you don't love me. Right? Yeah. So that's a that's a twisting. But love of, is of love. The, the the Bible definition of love. And we have to go back to the Bible for our original definitions of everything and every event because it gives the true origins of things. And if you can tell the origin of something, you tell where it came from, then you can tell if it's from heaven or hell. But the origins of love, the definition of love is the direct opposite of fear. Perfect love casts out fear because uh, fear is torment. Love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things, hopes all things. Love suffers. Love never fails. Um, love uh, covers a multitude of sins. Love does a lot of things. But love believes for that person's good, for their salvation, for their deliverance, for their, their being able to be set free and see the truth. Even though you may be loving someone right now that's put up a lot of walls against that love, a lot of rebellion, a lot of rejection, a lot of offenses. They're making it really difficult for you to love them. And that's a trial, too. I think some of the bigger trials are trying to get through to the people 
that we do love, that we do love them and that they can receive that love. So a lot of those spiritual battles are fought not on a level of words and lecturing and trying to explain things and, and proving a point. And these, these battles are won through prayer and binding and loosing demons that are, uh, you know, for example, you know, you've got a child that's resisting your love. You're not going to get to that child by, you know, lecturing them. You're going to get to them on your knees before the Lord and bind in them that spirit that's influencing their heart and their mind to believe lies that they're no good, that you're mad at them, that, that they hate you, that they don't care. I think that rebellion lie, the biggest one is I don't care. If I don't care, you can't make me because it, does, it doesn't matter because I can't hurt because I don't care. And so rebellion just takes them off in a direction of witchcraft and seeking other power sources and, and rebelling against the most high because they've been somehow believing lies. And that's where we all are. Our, our whole thing is we believe to ton of lies. We were programmed in the very beginning, first made by God to know the truth, then thrown into the snake pit of life, or we've been programmed through the experiences, experiences of our life in the snake pit to be programmed by the devil in our souls, mind, will, and emotion, to believe lies, and then use that program and software to, divide, to determine the next steps in my life, which obviously if you're using corrupt lies and bad software, you're going to get bad lies and software messes in your printout. So in, in the things that the conclusion. So we can't use our soul. Now that you're a Christian, the light of God's truth has made manifest the hidden works of darkness. You can now use your soul software. But, but basically going back to patience, and control and trust. These are the issues that Satan is contesting in our life. Patience equals peace, peace and assurance that God has got this, that this is God's problem, that God is in control. God is, um, and, and what we are demonstrating here in our, in our trial is faith in the faithfulness of God and in his goodwill and his intentions to bless us and sustain us. That's the exact opposite, Jerry, what, what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to get us to believe that God is mad at us that we did something wrong and that, you know, now we're going to have to do penance, perform, work our way out of this, work our way back into the good graces of God. When God says, when you sin, confess your sin. He doesn't say, uh, I'll get back to you in two weeks after that. Just let me get, have a little time to work this through. Well, but S- go ahead. Satan's goal is to, to turn us away from God. You know, just where we get worn out, yeah, we just absolutely. get exhausted. We just want to give up and say, forget this. Yeah. This is not working. This is too hard. Here's the deal. Um, you know, it's if if you live, try attempt to live your life without putting your faith and trust in God on a, on a regular basis, you're going to have all kinds of trials and problems and afflictions, and be on your own, and in in a sense, be on your own with the enemy giving you know feeding his counsel in your ear, in your heart, in your mind. Mm-hmm. If you're serving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're going to be afflicted too. So you, mm-hmm. there's yeah. no way. To get out of it. this is not heaven. Mm-hmm. Okay, heaven is not on Yet. earth right now. <laughs> yeah, right. We can we can have like like one old preacher said we can have some heaven in our hearts, heaven in our lives to go to heaven in. But right now, this some people try to you know uh, feather their nest with a little down, and and fill fill their lives and create their heaven now to you know build the houses and mm-hmm. have this is this is. I want to be protected. I want to escape. I want to have my refuge. I want to have my own space here. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with having a house or Peace. nice house or anything like that. But this is, this is not our heaven. This is the battleground. This is the testing ground. This is the proving ground uh, for, for the product. Like you said earlier, a manufacturer of a product, you know, the product is tested. Mm-hmm. Why is it tested? 
well, it's is it not? It's not just for the so the public you know has it safe and it's a good product, but the testing shows and the the, the, the passing quality. of the testing mm-hmm. shows reflects on the integrity of the designer mm-hmm. and the one who made that product, mm-hmm. and so keeping in mind, just reinforcing what you said earlier, that the testing our faith is really the test of God. That's right. It, it That's really right. proves, it proves when we pass these tests by the grace of God and the strength of God and by the word of God, we are saying, God, you are faithful. You are good. You're doing a good right. work. Mm-hmm. You've done your good yeah. work. And so it's all reflected back to him. If I get a lousy product from a, a certain brand name, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, you know, right. hey, I'm, Done with it. I'm saying this company does not produce a good product. But if I get something, a brand name product from another company that works out great, I'm saying, yeah, that's they really make good stuff. Well, God makes that good lasts stuff. lasts and works well. And God makes intended, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And the good stuff he's doing is is us. Well, this is just the He problem. created us. He this, designed us. He's rec- recreated us through the new birth and, and the new life we have in Christ. This is what God is. This is the whole point. This is the whole point of life is we have to go back again to the spiritual box and context the, the, in which we are in this world. And God put us in this world. Satan was, is in this world. And they are at war with one another. And Satan doesn't believe that God is able to keep us in the midst of what Satan is creating to destroy us. And, and Satan really wants us to come up in our hearts and minds to judge God in these matters, to judge ourselves or to judge God. We judge ourselves by saying, I'm bad and it's my fault and I'm no good. And, and or we judge God by saying, it's not fair. And why me, God? And where are you, God? And I can never seem to make you happy, God. But that's why it's so critical. When you get into a trial, the first thing out of your mouth needs to be counted all joy, rejoicing and thanksgiving. That shuts the, the, the op, shuts off the, the faucet to try to give out the negative, God, this is never going to work. Um, I can't believe this. It's why me, you know, I'm in trouble, uh, whatever, whatever the negative things that are that come out of your mouth are the agreements that your heart is being forced to make or being tempted to make with, with Satan. And you don't realize that. We don't realize that the, the Bible says what the heart is full of the mouth speaks. What comes out of your mouth is coming out of your heart. And we cannot live out of our heart, guys. We cannot live out of our feelings. The just do not live by feelings. They live by faith. We have to, we have to speak what comes out of the spirit. So it's going back to the test itself. God is not the one testing us to see what we will do. I think this is how the preachers set it up in Abraham's case. You know, oh, well, God wanted to see what was in Abraham's heart, if he's going to really obey him and kill his son and blah, blah, blah. That is, that's ridiculous. That's re- if you think about it, God knows everything already. So yeah. why would he set us up to prove what he already knows to himself? Right, right. He, like you said, he, he already knows this. He knows what's in our hearts. And so, you know, he doesn't have to say, hmm, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't realize that that was in our hearts before. Hmm, and, that's, yeah. not, that's not it at all. Well, and also God knows, he's many times said, we're weak, our life is but a vapor, you know, uh, but a breath, you know, he does, you know, we're made vulnerable. He created us very extremely weak and vulnerable. These bodies are not that strong. They can't see that well. They can't run that fast. We have to have, you know, air to breathe or we die. We have to have food. We have to have water. We are so vulnerable to so many situations and, and, and giving the devil so many opportunities to crush us on any level, whether it's, the, you know, in the natural or in the spiritual, that God 
knows that we're weak. He knows that we cannot do this without him. He knows that if he doesn't step in, we will die. And that's what you need to know. That's, that's the bottom line of every trial, whether it's panic, whether it's fear, whether it's claustrophobia, whether it's a terror in the night or dread in the day, whether it's the noise and pestilence that comes at noontime, which is, by the way, all these EMFs and all that garbage going on, that we are no, no match for this. We've got to have the shields of God. We've got to have, have, have God's in, uh, interception, God's protection. And so God is not testing us to see what we will do or to prove to us that we're weak because we already are weak. He already said that. Um, he doesn't really test us to expose doubt or turn us over to, the, to our worst fears. That's not what God is doing. But God is permitting the enemy to challenge his workmanship in us. That's exactly what you said, Jerry. God is permitting the enemy to challenge his, God's, workmanship in us. So then that makes the test ultimately about God, his workmanship, his faithfulness, and our love for God, his love for us. Our love. It's all about the test of, being, of, of love being tested. Is God going to come through or is he going to abandon me? Is he going to uh, walk with me in this affliction or, you know, let me dissolve in despair and, and defeat? Where is God in the midst of these trials? That's, that might be a good uh, first thought. Where is he? Look right away. Where's God? He's right there. And so when you get to the bottom, I say, God, I can't do this. You know, God, there's no way. I mean, trouble is patience is what God is looking for. And we're looking for a way to fix it. We're looking for a way to control it. Control is the opposite of patience. Control, um, you know, that self-directed, self-assertive, I've got to do this, I've got to figure it out, it's up to me, perfect, perform, da-da-da, make people happy, stand up for our rights, demonstrate our, our you know, our, our whatever, manliness or our abilities or our, our, you know, worthiness, all that. We cannot prove our worthiness. We're already worthy, made in the image of God. God loves us. We're accepted in the beloved. There's just, it's a done deal. Why do you keep fussing with that? Let's go on and realize that this test is really Satan is trying to um, rip you away from God, trying to get you to believe lies, go with fear, and believe that you're not loved. In Psalm 119 and verse 92, it says, Unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. And that's the goal of Satan. He wants us to perish in our trials, be destroyed Mm -hmm. by these things. These things are here to 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 build us, to help us, uh, to help us really. They are actually our trials are actually aids to faith, helps yeah. to and faith, and they're actually qualifiers too. Qualifiers. So the, the, the question is, will we trust the Lord? Like it says, I just read in the Psalm, one nineteen verse ninety two. Will we trust the Lord? Will we trust His word in the midst of us? Or in the midst of these trials, or will we go by our feelings? Right. This is this is uh, terrible. This is mm-hmm. awful. Yeah. Uh, in in uh, the Bible says that in uh, Psalm thirty four verse nine it says many are the afflictions of the righteous of the righteous. And basically, you know what afflictions means there in the original language? It means like depression, mm. the depressions, some pressure, depression, misery, trouble. Many are the afflictions. What? Of the of the ungodly, no, of the righteous, mm-hmm. but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So sometimes we think, okay, mm-hmm. well, Lord, I'm in this trial, just deliver me, set me free, and it doesn't happen right away. Well, it's the, because the he wants us to learn something. Deliverance is a lot of times it's through the afflictions, yeah, not out of the afflictions. He brings us through the afflictions, gets us out of the afflictions, 
but there are lessons to be learned mm-hmm. um, in the midst of all these well, things. Exactly. And by the way, the word depression, interesting enough, that word means uh, exhaustion. And if yep. you're depressed mentally, emotionally, physically, a pill isn't going to really fix that really seriously. Most of the times a pill does not fix the circumstance. And the circumstances you're in mentally and emotionally, the, the, the pain you got in your head, the, uh, the migraine or whatever, the depression is exhaustion. Trying to do two things. You're trying to solve an irresolvable conflict. So the conflict on the one side says I've got to. On the other side of the torture act says I can't. I got to try harder. And the other side says never enough. Um, I got to be good and never good enough. And whatever the conflicts are, if you slow down, sit down and say to God, you know, what is the what are the irresolvable conflicts that's causing this depression in my life? You'll find two answers. You'll find God showing you that you're trying to do two opposite things, which creates a stuck point. You're stuck. You're trapped. You can't get out. And so you're, first of all, believing line number one, that I've got to do something about this. When the truth is, I've got to rejoice in this. This is not my Mm -hmm. fault. And God is going to have going to have to vindicate me in this and second of all that you can trust in the goodness of god god loves you jesus loves you this is the big issue this is the big point that satan is trying to get across you that god really isn't there for you god does not love you god does not care he's not a personal god he's really busy he's doing other things don't mess with the little things don't mess you know don't don't bug god with the little things um but god says no 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 this is a pretty intense battle i think i'll download the holy spirit right inside of them so that they've got this constant constant you know internal uh, wisdom and counsel from the Holy Spirit. But how many people use the Holy Spirit? They're still going back and forth between the flesh, which is I've got to figure it out myself, and maybe walking in the Spirit. So you're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, digging a rut and wondering why I never get out of this trial. You know, what you should do, if you've tried everything else and nothing else is working to get you out of your slump, why don't you try the most difficult thing of all, the most uh, unnatural thing, the most spiritual thing you can do, and start to open your mouth and praise God or thank God or count it all joy or talk to Jesus or describe the problem to him and say, Lord, I trust you. Vindicate me, O God. It's Psalm 26. A lot of it starts out, vindicate me, O Lord, for I've walked in my integrity. I've also trusted in the Lord. I, sh- I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and heart, basically, and you're going to find nothing wrong. Because your loving kindness is before my eyes. I've walked in your truth. So when God, when the devil is trying to search your heart and see if he can find any wickedness in you, any attitude, any uh, self-reliance, any fear, any guilt, any garbage, you know, by the way, then he will, he'll look as saying, Psalm of David again, God, justify me. God, you know my heart. And this is the good news that Jesus knows your heart. He knows everything that went on, the setup, the behind the scenes. He knows the treachery. He knows the words behind your back. He knows everything that was set up. He knows what you believed. He knows what the generational curses were and agreements that were made back way up there and how the devil can also bring those things down to bring pressure on your life because they're in the bloodline. And those things, the sins of the fathers are coming down. The blood guilt is still there. You say, but I'm under the blood. Yeah, well, then appropriate the blood and say that's enough because you're right. You are under the blood, but if you don't know that or appropriate that, if you've got $2 million in your bank account and don't know it or don't use it, you're still going to live a pauper. So the thing is God wants us to appropriate the justification of Jesus Christ, that his death and resurrection, the resurrection was the justification. God wants you to say, you know what, devil, you got nothing on me. You lied to me. I believe the lie. I sinned. I confess my sin to God. I come out of agreement with you. I declare, devil, you are nothing but a liar and a deceiver. 
I declare that God's word is true. God is my, my refuge, my strength, my judge, my vindicator. So David is saying, God, you justify me. He says, I have walked in your truth. And of course, um, sometimes we go back and forth and we, we get caught up in lies. Uh, and, but that's all part of the process of God teaching us to learn and to know and to walk in his truth. As for, he, for me, he says, I, I will walk in my integrity, redeem me, and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregation, I will bless the Lord. In, in everything, give thanks. That's just the easiest way to say it. Be joyful. It's not easy. It's not easy when you're burying your loved one. It's not easy when you're, um, you know, nobody said it's going to be easy. Only God can help you with this because it's too impossible for a human. It's too impossible for your loved ones to comfort you enough. You have to get that grace and strength from the Lord God himself. And if you know people who are in these severe trials, pray for them that God will give them the grace, the strength, and the undergirding to get through these horrible things that people are going through as a result of the war between God and Satan to test the hearts and souls of men. Well, in Isaiah 53, verse 7, the first part of that verse says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. All right. Now, he did that for us. That's a reference to Jesus. He did it. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He suffered that we might have life and that we might have hope. Yes, and right on top of that, hold on, hold your thought, because here's Hebrews to, to verify that, chapter 5. He says, he, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but he was, uh, but it was he who said of him, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Uh, and then he says, uh, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation. So he, oh, even though he was perfect already, he was, had to be perfected in and through the tests and the trials that, that proved that he was worthy to be exalted, uh, promoted, um, qualified to rule and reign with us. And no one understands suffering and affliction like Jesus because he he's been through that himself. He came here, he came here from heaven to the snake pit. Mm-hmm. He came into this evil world, lived in this evil world. He was attacked, maligned, misunderstood, uh, and and eventually crucified. Purpose of God. See, not only was was he here so we can observe him to know that he knows. Mm-hmm. He already knew, but this helped us to know that he knows what it's like to be down here. And his, his suffering brought us life, and his suffering brought us, brought us hope. And um, in Isaiah uh, 62 verse nine, 63, verse 9, in their affliction, he was afflicted. And mm-hmm. the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and his, in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. Now, this is reference to Israel once they, you know, were afflicted for 430 years in Egypt, mm-hmm. brought them out. And, 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 but in that affliction, God was being afflicted too. That's so right. he, he identifies with us. The thing is to remember, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death from Psalm 23, thou art with me. I will fear no evil. I will, mm-hmm. I will fear no evil for what thou, thou art, art with, with me. me. And so he is with us to help us. And sometimes we think, well, Lord, if you're with us, 
if you're with me, how come you don't get me out of this right, quicker? Because we become impatient and want to take control and see things happen. Now, going back to Jesus in Hebrews again, reading that from the Amplified, it says, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, in the days of his earthly life, Jesus offered up both specific petitions and urgent supplications for that which he needed with fervent crying and tears to the one who was always able to save him from death. And he was heard of his reverent submission towards God, his singleness and his unfailing determination to do the Father's will. Although he was a son who had never been disobedient to the Father, he learned active special obedience through what he, what he suffered. And having been made perfect, uniquely equipped and, and prepared as the Savior and retaining his integrity amid opposition, he became the source of eternal salvation and eternal inheritance to all those who obey him, being designated by God as the high priest for according to the order of Melchizedek. So Satan was more than interested in disqualifying Jesus. He was more than interested in finding a flaw in this son to make it make his case against Jesus in the court of heaven and saying he does not have a right to rule and reign nor be the, the inheritor of the, of the kingdom because he blah, blah, blah. But Jesus found the way, shows us the way. He says he, reverent, he, uh, he, re- he revered God. He didn't disobey. Um, his singleness and unfailing determination to do, to do the will of God. Um, his reverent submission towards God. This is where we get mad. This is where anger kind of strikes to pry us away from that rest and trust and submission to God. Anger says, but it's wrong. I'm mad. That's where vindication comes in. David was trusting God to vindicate him and make it right. Anger says, I have a right. And God says, I know you have rights and I'm working on your righteousness. Will you work with me or you want to stand up and pout and throw a fit? And try to get your rights, you know, you're not, nobody's going to listen to. If, you know, only God can vindicate and justify in the first place. So my righteousness is what's, what's being um, tested here. Most people don't like that. They don't think that's very important. They're not interested in spiritual stuff. They're not interested in God perfecting that which concerns them. They're just wanting to get through this life with as little pain and problems as possible and have as much fun. And most of the time, all they, they spend their time killing time, being bored and medicating, escaping what's really going on and missing the whole point of their life. I mean, if you do that, waste your time, and a lot of people do, you're missing the whole point of your life. The point of your life is to grow in God and use every moment to live in the, the, um, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if we don't realize that, again, we have to go back to knowing the context, the content the, the spiritual backstory of what's going on in our lives. And you don't get this in the church. Don't even look for it. If you get a little dab of this in the church, you're going to be so excited in your spirit. Uh, but the thing is, the, the churches, for the most part, don't, don't focus on that. They focus on having your best life now. This is not the time to have your best life now. This is the time to have a great life now in terms of the greatness as God defines greatness. That means to be like Jesus, to um, you know the people in the Hall of Fame, in the Hebrews eleven, you know, a lot of them they lost their lives. They were eaten by the lions. They were sawn in sunder. They were uh, they they had trials of faith that God says the world wasn't even worthy of them. They were so above this world. They didn't you know the world didn't even deserve to have these people walking on it. But yet the world con- treated them with contempt and and despair and dis- disdain. And so, but again, going back to your personal life, the personal use of your time, the personal use of your 
of your uh, of these trials that God is bringing you through. It's not about trying to evade, escape, alleviate. And that's what we do a lot of times. In our trial, we go look for a quick fix. We look for a pill to pop. We look for a, a, a vitamin to eat. We look for, a, you know, some exercise, some yoga, some mystical, you know, metaphysical, you know, uh, exposure to something. And it's very simple. The word of God is the only thing that will stand when everything else is tried and done and said and burnt up and blown away. Only God's word and your truth and integrity to God's word and his integrity and truth to his word and your relationship with him and the love he has for you and the death of Jesus Christ and the blood of the lamb is going to prevail to, to uh, uh, preserve you. And so when we're all tangled up in these trials, we have to know that there is a purpose, there is a good end, and it's not for it's not for us to be defeated. It's not for um the, the the devil wants to use it to prove to us that God is not faithful. But your challenge is: Do you believe that God's faithful in the midst of what looks like the impossible? Because God is the God of the impossible. The impossible is the same as the ordinary to Him. It's God's word that sustains us through these difficult times, and um, you see that all through the Psalms and and in the many other places in the Scriptures. And Psalm one nineteen forty nine and fifteen. Remember the word your servant, the word to your servant. Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. And sometimes, you know, not only scripture, but sometimes God speaks to us about a certain thing that He is asking us to do right. for His glory. And it seems like it's it's delayed. It seems like the vision is oh, yeah. never going to come. We yeah. get the we get the vision, mm-hmm. and we believe for the vision, and then the vision seems to die. It looks like it's mm-hmm. never going. That's to what happen. Jesus happened to Jesus when he was on the earth. You know, the vision went to the tomb for three days, and he died on the right, cross. Right, right. But but it was it was fulfilled, even though it looked you know it was it was the vision. Something about that dying and vision and estimating what's going on. I think a lot of times we try to assess our lives uh, by how they look or the outcomes or how productive or whatever. We try to um, determine our own worth and merit and value and how well we're doing and all of that stuff. And you're probably calculating it all wrong. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I tell you a little story. I met with a, um, a, a manager, a great guy that's been involved with uh, professional baseball for Mm-hmm. quite a few years and his dad was a professional baseball player and so forth and he's the manager of a very excellent and he he he's a is a believer in Jesus and he was telling me about you know he's talking about how they have the bible studies that are optional available for the team members and so forth and he says when i get to stand before the lord someday he says i am not he's not going to ask me how many games we won mm-hmm. and he had really he had the the whole thing right as far as what really matters. You know, it's it's loving God, following God, helping people develop, being a blessing, helping people grow and develop to their potential. So he had a, his priorities right. You know, it's like Jesus looked like the biggest loser when he was there dying naked on the cross. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people look like a big loser. Probably the Apostle Paul seemed to be like a great loser too when he finishes the rest of his days in prison. They end up chopping his head off. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, in ISIS style. Uh, it's like, 
you know, a lot of these believers looked like failures, big, big losers. Yeah. But like you said, from Hebrews 11, the world was not worthy of them. So it's not a matter of you it, judging your not, own self, you, judging yourself or mm-hmm. how you look or how this looks. You know, mm-hmm. I, okay, that's I claim, a temptation. I claim that's that, part of the trial. I claim I have faith in Jesus. I love Jesus with all my heart. And my, my maybe my kids are going through a time of rebellion or or something's happening at work that's really coming against me, whatever it is. It's not just you, we can't judge on the ourselves mm-hmm. on um, the basis of those kinds of things. Our performance, that are going on. what it looks like, how we're what doing, it, what it looks mm-hmm. like, what it may look like to somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, Lord, what are you doing here? And I trust you in the midst of all this. And, and, and Job came to that place. He says, even if God would kill me, I'm still going to trust him. Well, Hebrews says we're, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I believe that that our testimony is going before us. It's a testimony of God's victory, God's faithfulness, of our prevailing against the enemy's onslaught and constant trying to corrupt our minds. And here's where a lot of the tests come. You know, we look for an external test, you know, like out there somewhere. Uh, but it can be a very internalized test. It can be a battle in the heart and the mind. And like you said, it can be my own temptation or the temptation in my own heart to judge myself. Um, Paul says, I do not judge my own self, he says, and this is part of the, the temptation to judge, assess, conclude, because we want to see things concluded, culminated, finished, finalized. We want to see things turn out right, turn out good. But uh, Paul was wise enough to say, you know, what? I'm not going to pull in, into that, that test, that uh, trick. In First Corinthians chapter 4, he, he had three or four verses in chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, where he really nailed this. He said, um, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's his job. That's, he knew his identity. I am a servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. That means I'm a keeper of those truths and, and principles and deep truths and uh, uh, the spiritual understanding of what's really going on. He says, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. So just as God is faithful to us, God is also asking us to stand with him and be faithful to him and not melt down and freak out and give up and turn back and, 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 and decide that, you know, it wasn't worth it. Blah, blah, blah. He says, so he wants us to be faithful. But with me, he said, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Now, this is where we brought, this is a big trial problem point for people to judge themselves. You know, um, that's what we do all that. We're taught by the world to judge ourselves. We're taught to take responsibility. We're taught to perform. We're taught to uh, compete. We're taught, taught to look good. We're taught to make everybody happy, judging myself based on the actions and reactions of the people around me, which really is a mess. Because most of the people around you that you're expecting to respond kindly to you are jealous of you, probably tempted by the devil to be jealous. They're not going to give you the endorsement, the edifying words, the blessings, the blah, blah, blah. So, so if we're judging ourselves based on other people's responses to us, we're setting ourselves up for another problem, another trial. And so Paul says, I do not even judge my own self because he also knew that he himself would, would be pulled into lies and conversations with the devil and debates with the spirit, the soul that, that this state sets up between your mind and your heart and your soul and your spirit to judge you as unworthy, unfit, not good enough. Uh, a failure to make it look like you failed God or God's failed you. And so he says, for I know nothing against myself. He says, I don't even spend time trying to do that. He says that, you know, that's a waste of time trying to figure out if I'm good enough, if I'm 
Even trying to figure out if you're in the will of God can be a waste of time. You need to know that you want the will of God and God wants you to have the will of God. So the both of you want the will of God. So therefore you're in the will of God and let God walk you. You may be going through a mess, but it might be the total perfect or permitted, actually permitted will of God because it's perfect. will would have been that we would all be in garden of Eden and never left home. But the thing is, um, he says, I know nothing against myself yet. I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore he says, here's the deal. Don't judge, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring both to light the hidden things of darkness. In other words, reveal what was behind the scenes and reveal the counsels of the hearts. And each one will have his praise that comes from God. So in the end, God is the only one who knows everything and can judge everything. So you let the outcome be with the Lord. And what you do, you don't worry about what you're thinking. Don't worry about people, how they feel about you. You just seek God and do his will. Say, what is your will for me in this, O Lord? That you, your will is that I be, that I be patient that I be perfected by your spirit, that I praise you, that I rejoice, that I'm joyful, that I trust you, and that I know that you have this. This is That's what faith is. Faith is knowing that God is faithful to complete the work he's begun in us, no matter what that work looks like that needs to be done. And you know, in the midst of these trials, we're, we're called to, to really hold steady, patient in tribulation, trust, rest, you know, in, in this, if it looks like your life is just slipping apart, Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. Right. If you lose your life, you're going to save it. Um, so if it looks like your life is just, you know, falling apart, things aren't working out uh, the way you thought it would be, uh, you have to, you, there, that's dying to this thing because there's a purpose that God is working out. You have a heart for the Lord. You want to serve the Lord, follow the Lord and everything like that. But there's a purpose being worked out in all yeah, this. That's right. And that's the thing is that, God, you, you do have a purpose. We, can't, we might not be able to see it now, uh, but we will see it one day. And it's interesting what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through uh, 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more and exceeding an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's 2 Corinthians four sixteen through 18. Our light, are you looking that up in the Amplified? I am great. Yeah. Check that out. But he says our, our light affliction. Now he's talking about, he had great times, he says, of affliction, trial. When there, he says, women were fighting, we were, that we had fighting and fears. There were conflicts and fears that were rising in our hearts. We despaired even of life, Paul. So this is Paul, a man of faith, resp- responding. And a lot of times, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes we think, we're in these trials because we don't have faith. Yeah. A lot of time, most more often than not, we we are in these trials because we do have faith. That's exactly and, right. And we'd have to can't look at our, our, our you know look at our faithometer, mm-hmm. and, and, and and based we, on we, our feelings, you just got to build up your faithometer a little bit. And Try harder. No, 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 no. That's work. not it. You do have the faith. You're trusting God, and your faith is being built by God. Your faith is being proven by God. Your faith is being developed by God in the midst of these very difficult things. And the difficulty that we have oftentimes is we don't get an eternal perspective on this. Mm-hmm. Paul is saying, you know what? Our affliction, what we go on, what we deal with now is really light compared to eternity. 
It's really light compared to what's going on in hell, too. These things, what's that? I said it's really light compared to what's going to be going on in hell, too. Oh, yeah. But he says compared to eternity. So, in other words, these light afflictions are, are adding up to a big eternal weight of glory. Mm-hmm. He says, we, we, we look at the things that are seen, the way things look like, feel like. We, we don't look at those. We look at the things which are, are eternal. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is, we have to remember that the, the, it's not all about this life here on earth. It's, it's like one of our old uh, teachers when we were new believers used to say that this life on earth is the dressing room for eternity. Mm-hmm. And like your father always says, Marjorie, it's that it's a testing ground for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, so well, here, we are pre- we are preparing for eternity. We're destined for the throne, yes, amen. like a, a dear man named Paul Bilhammer used to write about. Mm-hmm. We are being prepared for eternity through amen. these difficult things that we face in time. I think this is the biggest lesson that we need to learn is that we're eternal beings and we're caught right now in this time warp of time uh therefore we do not become discouraged this is amplified second corinthians 4 we do not become discouraged spiritless disappointed or afraid though our outer self is progressively wasting away yet our inner self is being progressively renewed by day by day for our momentary light distress this passing trouble is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, a fullness beyond all measure, surpassing all comparisons, a transcendent splendor, and an endless blessedness. So we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. For the things which are visible are temporal, just brief and fleeting, but the things which are invisible are everlasting and imperishable. And we have to realize that God's agenda here is to perfect that which concerns us by creating in us the image of Jesus Christ, making us in his image and making us more than conquerors and qualifying us. Um, even though we are qualified through Jesus Christ, uh, this, this Jesus learned the obedience through the things he suffered. We're also in that same category of learning uh, the obedience to the things that we're suffering. So to, to summarize what we've been talking about here for today, I want to look at a couple of different passages here in First Peter chapter four, verses um, uh, twelve through fourteen. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you are partaking of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you and unhappy are you, right? For the glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. And then in looking to 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, um, verse uh, 3, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in Amen. heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Mm-hmm. In this, in this, it says, you greatly rejoice in verse 6. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And what is the point of this? Verse 7 gives us this. That the genuineness of your faith, 
being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. So the, but, the genuineness of our faith is proven. And basically the genuine, genuineness, really could say, of the author of our faith, too, is proven. Because God's workmanship in us is being tested and it's being proven and it's being demonstrated mm-hmm. that God has done a good work in us. God knows what he's doing. He's a God of love and power and he is making us according to his own. He's made us, created us in us originally according to his own image and likeness and now we're being conformed uh, to the image of Jesus Christ through yeah. Through these trials and afflictions, well, this that come is, the, this to is us. how the, how we experience the war between God and Satan for the souls of men. It is experienced through these trials, uh, the battles with our, in, within us and the battles around us. And the, the men of God are saying, "This is how you get through it." These are the generals who've survived and and prevailed. And so, obviously, they've written the word to us. Um, though we haven't seen him yet, we trust him. We rejoice in him. We delight with exceeding great joy, um, believing what God has said in God's promises. And that's what, what justified Abraham was believing God's promises. So the thing is we're justified not by believing the lie, not by doing penance, not by punishing ourselves, but by believing the truth and resting in and letting God have his patience, his perfect work of patience and encouragement and, and comfort and peace in us. Not You let go of the control, surrender to God like Jesus did. You reverently submit to the Lord God said, thy will be done, O God. And as we wrap this up, we just want to pray. Father God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for these opportunities. We thank you, Jesus, that you're in control. We thank you that you are the God of the impossible. We thank you, Lord, for each one listening today, that they will be lifted and encouraged, that you grant them an answer to their prayer, a release, a deliverance, an understanding, a revelation, whatever it is they need to have, Lord God, the grace to prevail against this situation, this enemy, this thought. Uh, this circumstance that you will give you. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We ask for that victory and vindication this day, Father, for each one listening in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, whatever, whether it's a, the, just a bad, frustrating day, little annoying things that seem to be aggravating a person that's listening right now, or whether they're going through the greatest trial of heartbreak and sorrow and grief in their life. Whatever the situation, Lord, you are with them. You are there to help them. You are there to comfort them and to bring them through. And you will do it. And you will do it. And you are faithful to love us and to keep us in all these things. And in all these things, Lord, you said in Romans 8, we are more More than than conquerors conquerors. through you who love us. And we thank you for that, Father. Thank you for that truth, that promise in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Margie Cole, liferecovery.com, and Jerry Cole, churchmn.org, signing out. God bless you all. I have an emergency. What is your location? for your soul.